Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. It's a mixed bag of emotions today as former mayor John Landro has been found. Two days ago, Landro was reported missing from Dairy Home Hospital after telling a nurse that he needed to see the pool again. He was found today by a hunter in Jefferson Tract in a state of catatonia. We wish him a speedy return. <clears throat> I mean, recovery. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And today, we are back with Lisey's story, our Patreon selection from Robin Nickerson, and we are finishing the book today with CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. We left Lisey having finally pulled down the purple curtain that allowed her to remember everything, including Scott's story. And she healed herself in the pool at Booyah Moon. And we're back with her. She's sparing a moment to worry about Dooley, that he may be lurking nearby, as in, like, in the house, hiding somewhere. But he said he'd be back at eight, so, you know, whatevs. He's a man of his word. The true crime fandom in me was like, no, he's going <laughs> to kill you at any moment. It's ruined everything for me. <laughs> Can I tell you the part that jumped out to me in this, like, very yeah. beginning thing? It's that she... When she's talking to herself, like she often does, she calls herself baby love, but it specifically says she says to herself and mm-hmm. not in Scott's voice for the first time. Mm. Yeah, I love it starts out. She is kind of exercised whatever mm. has been haunting her by finally letting go of this two years of grief. I don't know how you split up our episodes, uh, you two, but it's always, <laughs> I love when it so uh, clearly goes along with the story beats. Yeah, that, that is, is nice. intentional. Yeah, it's great. Good job. <laughs> For a book Thank that none you. of us had read. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it always works out. It I, I, it, it's amazing. I think it, it speaks to how well-structured mm. King's stories are, mm-hmm. because this is, the as the third act begins... Yeah. She has moved on, and we get this, like, more assured Lissy who immediately is like, I know what to do now. I think Kind it, of. I <laughs> think it speaks to how good talkers we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the key to our success. Can I admit something? This, this pisses me off, and I hope you guys have been doing the same thing, or at least some of our listeners. Have either of you been calling your people in your life or, like, your cats – Baby love or like little Guyan yes. or little Mitchell. <laughs> no, I <laughs> I have avoided so it so upset. far. Just adding little to the front Just of something. Little. All right. Just little. No, I, I can't count the number of things that I've started saying ironically and, <laughs> and just become a thing I say. Uh, I don't want to add anything from this book uh, besides eating nasty to my, uh, my eating nasty repertoire. made it to work and it was a hit. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Lisey checks herself out in the mirror and she's like, damn, I look pretty sexy after getting beaten up. <laughs> Her can opener wound looks like it's about three weeks of healing and not, you know, several hours ago, which is insane and terrifying. And here we find out that all men are disgusting. 
Quit oh, staring God. at young girls oh, I and forgot old about boobies. That. It's so <laughs> gross. And it, it's just thrown out there as though it is it's, a normal thing. I totally forgot. <laughs> yeah, she thinks about how, like, it, she she's staring at herself in the mirror. Yeah. And she thinks back to a thing Scott told her is that, oh, yeah, men will just stare at anyone from the ages of 14 uh, no. to 80 something. Oh my God. And I said, uh, no, no, that's incorrect. Scott slash Steven. So you two don't do that? Hard no. disagree. Hard Thank disagree. You. Oh, I feel so much better. No, I like put the book down and was like, King, you, you're in timeout. <laughs> timeout. Oh, I love that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we're moving on from that. Lisi gets a quick bite to eat. Not really eating nasty, but it's the most depressing, disgusting-sounded PB&J I've ever had to read about. And she makes a call, which we will talk about, and drinks some Kool-Aid from the pitcher. Did anyone else picture during this scene Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman coming home after being killed? (laughs) I am now. Right? Doesn't it work? It just has that energy. Anyway, she calls Professor Woodbody, which I had not as like done with him in my head. What did you guys (laughs) think of that conversation? I am not exactly sure why. It seems like uh, there are a few things that she does in preparation that seem like either a waste of time or an actively bad idea. I feel like Stephen King was like, oh, if I don't have her tie up this loose end, constant readers are going to be constant readers. (laughs) It's definitely uh, this third act. It does go a little bit into, I wish I could think of who to attribute this to, but I've, I heard, I think it was someone on TikTok, uh, someone on book talk talking about how Stephen King has, can have a tendency to tell stories like a little kid. Oh, yeah. And then this happened. And then, and then, and then, (laughs) Mm -hmm. this kind of devolves into that a little, where it's just, it it becomes less of the, like, Gordian knot of time that the middle section Mm -hmm. of the book is, and just becomes like, okay, here's the chore list that Lizzie is going through to get to the end of the book. I think that King wanted us to touch base with uh, Woodbody one more time to see how he fared after getting reamed by Lisi in the last section and didn't quite know how to do it organically. And so just created this. Yeah, well, because the call to him is basically just a repeat of the plan that didn't work mm-hmm. anyway. Like it's a it's a covering bases moment. But I, j- I think it was a device so that they could have a phone call where he's like, oh, God, I hope you're still not mad at me. <laughs> My wife is really pissed. <laughs> the thing that came out of this that I did like, though, was her threat to him, because I thought it was real spectacular when he was saying, I called my lawyer, I don't have to talk to you and I don't have to deliver a message and, you know, all this. Mm. He's just pushing back. And she was like, Scott left me 40 gazillion dollars and yeah. <laughs> I can make your life hell just just because I want to. Don't listen to your lawyer. Listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah. She just uh, did. We mention what the message was just if she he is contacted by Doolin Dooley. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're right. Yes, I am right. (laughs) That if he's contacted to just tell him this message to meet her in the study at eight o'clock that evening and she will give him whatever he wants. Yep. Uh, And then she goes on to leave the same message 
on her outgoing (laughs) voice too much evidence yeah right uh, on a phone that the cops have called her on right i don't think so it's her study phone not the house phone okay and i think in the beginning they king did set up that the study phone is is a line that she's like even her sister called she's like how did my sister have this number so it still it still made me nervous like Mm -hmm. don't do that Yeah, it, it's such a huge chance like, that I, yeah. it made me nervous and thought that it would become a thing, but it doesn't. Yeah. It, it it was so kind of, like you said, kind of kid-like thing to do that even though I knew this was going to tie into Booyah Moon, I, well, I suspected, hmm. I thought she was going to go all home alone. And, and <laughs> God, I would have loved stuff. that. And she kind of does, but just not in a home alone way. I did think it was really cool that when she left that message, she was thinking that Dooley was going to hear what he wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Her excitement, but underneath that fear and and like dread in her voice that would make him believe the message. Even though she it wasn't there for her, she thinks he's so crazy that he's going to read into it what he needs to hear. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> so Lisi is going to go to Greenlawn to see Amanda. And on her way, she stops to let... Sexy Deputy Alston knows she's <laughs> heading out to visit her uh, sister. Do we get a Kingdom Hospital reference here? Is that the kingdom? Yeah, I took that as... Okay, because I couldn't remember where that was located because she says she's going to Auburn for her sister and he kind of winces like, oh, sorry, is it CMG or Kingdom? Yeah. that That's just cool. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's a neat Easter egg in a scene of a millionaire hitting on a cop. My two <laughs> least favorite things. <laughs> so she drives off thinking of how her mouth has the most wonderfully sweet taste, which I missed initially. I only caught this when I went back through it. And just as she was hoping to, she does beat Darla and Canty to Green Lawn. And Lisey knows that Amanda is part of this, but she feels like the other two aren't. And when she parks... Her car, she does some weird stuff. Do one of you want to talk about what she does? She has this impression that she needs to soak in every detail of where she parked. To the point that it doesn't become specific enough until she grabs an empty bottle of beer and <laughs> adds it to the picture. And it just stares at it and then like locks it in and then moves on. Th- this is insane because yeah. <laughs> uh, it does imply that Lissy has the power to teleport. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not imply, yeah, kinda, yeah. you know, overtly, she has the ability, she can, the nightcrawler through Booyah Moon. Well, she, yeah, she can, she can reality shift, and, and yeah. I kind of thought that, because I feel like the way Scott talked about her, you know, it, it said, you're a champ at this, but there's, I don't know, maybe I was just reading too much into it, there seemed to be something underneath that that implied something special about her in regards to that travel. I don't know if that was just me, though. This is what pays off at the end Mm -hmm. of her stretching the muscles that can't be unstretched. Mm. She is working so hard, and as we find out later, it becomes Mm -hmm. almost too easy to go back and forth between. And so I think that maybe Scott could also do this, but it probably stretches that muscle less if you focus on returning right where you left hmm. maybe I don't know. Yeah. this it's interesting though this parking lot reminds her of another parking lot the one where scott was shot and we get a hint here 
about how he died. Something about an unknown spore and pneumonia. We'll get back to that way, way later. So Lisi goes up to Amanda's room to see if she can wake her up. What did you guys think of... Okay, this is the point where I started to get like really excited because it's like, oh shit, it's going to be a <laughs> sister thing? On board. I'm so ready for this. What do you think about this scene where she's with her sister trying to talk to her and, and do the same thing she did for Scott, essentially, years ago? Took me completely, but I had no oh, idea how this was going to play out. It did not go the direction I was expecting. <laughs> what did you think? Uh, well, I didn't think she was going to barf in her sister's mouth, <laughs> first and foremost. Hey, sometimes you got to baby bird your little hey, sister. Man, they're stepsisters, so it's hot. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Sorry, it's a... <laughs> Huh. Uh, private the, jokes the perfect place uh, for CM to share them on our very public podcast you're welcome <laughs> they have Amanda set up on this like outside patio by her room and they're drinking the this gross juice they call it bug juice out of paper cups and she's trying to talk to her and getting no reaction and it, I don't remember what the catalyst is that makes her think, I took two sips, one for me and one for her. I don't either, because she's, what I thought was going to be the catalyst is that she remembers how she got Scott to respond and said, squeeze my hands. Because mm, she's telling her, like, yeah. there's this bad man after me. And she feels just a little bit of pressure. And then she realizes, oh, one of those sips was not for me. Oh, sorry. It's, it's because she realizes that, as we've been talking about, the anchors which also becomes very important that she is getting the response that Scott gave her, but she's so scared to kind of let go, which is what will need to happen to make this happen. Mm. And that's when she realizes that her sister is, her fear is acting as an anchor. Mm. And if she gives her uh, the sip of water, one of the sips, then it should be fine. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this, but I have to get it out so I can move on with my life. I just had the brilliant idea that if I could travel to Booyah Moon and I was with Alexander Skarsgård, <laughs> I'd be like, be like, oh, your clothes are an anchor. <laughs> you have to strip down, but I would not have to. <laughs> Isn't that a great idea? <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's terrific. <laughs> Sorry. That's amazing. I love that power fantasy of yours. It was intrusive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Your your fantasy of lying to get a man's clothes off is very good. <laughs> well, when you put it like that. Your method of interdimensional manipulation to seduce this man. <laughs> I would never Here, be... Come to my imaginary fantasy land so I can gaslight you. <laughs> if I had powers, uh, I would never be a true threat to society. Oh, I... Oh. I, I'm with you there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Spinoff novel, Booyah Moon by the Gaslight. <laughs> <laughs> so the shoes are an anchor, though, as we find out, because I love the idea. Like, in my head, I didn't follow her and Amanda to Booyah Moon when she gets there. <laughs> I just stayed where they were <laughs> at, where it's just empty now, except for slippers and shoes and socks. <laughs> and keys. <laughs> and keys. keys. Yeah, that's kind of an important one. It Is it? Actually? Uh, well, no, I guess not. 
Because nobody locks their doors and they have spare keys everywhere, even if a psychopath is after them. (laughs) Also, I didn't expect, although I think it's cool and it kind of goes with what we were thinking Booyah Moon is, when she gets there to find Amanda, because she gets there and she's not like directly with her. She has to find her at the pool. It's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. The pool is wider. And this is so cool. There is a there's a sailing ship on it, like kind of out in the distance and it never anchor they're just waiting for it forever and like that idea of this fantasy place where you're just sitting here waiting for this ship but the thing is it'll never drop its anchor it's it's the hollyhocks it's yes. uh the it turns out the hollyhocks is a pretend pirate ship that amanda used to imagine when they were children Mm -hmm. um and all of the the neighborhood girls would play uh pirates and the hollyhocks would come into dock at uh what's it called spring Southwind. Southwind. to meet their boyfriends yeah (laughs) it's very sweet but it also made me think for a second that one of my i I think I predicted last episode that we would find out that Lissy or one of her sisters had been going to Booyah Moon. Yeah. And it's kind of hinted that, like, this is this imaginary place that they went to as children. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same. It's not. Yeah. It's not a real physical place that they went to Mm -hmm. as kids. And I like because we were wondering, oh, is Lissy going to be the one? And I like that it's Amanda. So it's not. Mm -hmm. It's obviously it's, it's just smarter than that. It also reminded me of Channel Zero, the first season with, I think, Pirates Cove. Oh, yeah. That's that's a really good movie. Yeah, it's got like the spooky element to it, like this childhood spookiness. Yeah. And a boy made of teeth. So, Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's it's bad as bad as it sounds. And we find out here that, that this is why Holly Hawks was written in the notebook in Amanda's handwriting and not Scott's. Mm-hmm. And and Lisey remembers, oh, yeah, when she said, shut up, <laughs> I want to watch the Holly Hawks. She wasn't talking about flowers. She was talking about the boat. <laughs> what did you guys think of Amanda telling Lisey that Scott said that she would come here for her if she ever needed her, that Lisey would try to come for Amanda? I I want to see that scene so badly. The I, I, it's referenced and never really elaborated on the time that they have spent together, Scott and Amanda mm-hmm. in Booyah Moon, and I am fascinated. Oh, and I'm so actually cool. I'm actually kind of glad we don't get it because mm-hmm. I love the mystery of like yeah. how many times did Scott find her there, but when she didn't know she was there, and how much has she like thought was a dream? And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just crazy. There, there is a line that got me. Yeah. yeah, at this point is when they're talking about it, and Lissy asks, "When did you guys talk?" And Amanda says, uh, "Before or after? It's hard to tell here, but we talked about you. We talked about how much we love you." And tears, uh-huh. it yeah. fucking nailed me. It's so it's a great. beautiful moment, and especially because the that far away voice that she talks with is I don't know why like that. Um, Kind of in the same way that God's Tom mm. got me, mm-hmm. where it's when you you are speaking to an unfiltered voice, mm-hmm. something about that, the word choice carries so much more weight. And so that felt really heavy when she shared that. I thought it was interesting that she's coming here for her because earlier in the story, she had mentioned that she would she would go back to this place for Scott, but that's it. No one else. She wouldn't come here for her sister. 
And then later they have this conversation and Amanda asks her if she would have come if it weren't for what was going on. And she says, I'd like to think so. And I'm going to mention this here because I want to be cool and mention it at the end. And I'm going to forget. <laughs> I At first I was kind of upset, like, no, you wouldn't be here for your sister. And look at, you know, everything that she ends up helping her with. And mm-hmm. she deserved for her to come for her, I felt like. Mm-hmm. But at the very end of things, she... M- tries harder to stay anchored to her own world for partially for Amanda. And it kind of came back around as like, I think I, th- I like that it's more important that she stays here for Amanda rather than that she was willing to go there just for Amanda. And I liked kind of that give and take. I hadn't thought of it that way. I like that though. Yeah. I think that... I think that's an honest answer Mm -hmm. because she gave that answer before she knew what was behind the curtain. And I think she was so paralyzed with fear as to what she was going to find that she that the I won't go back there for anybody but you was more out of fear. And now that she knows it and she's accepted the truth of everything, I think if she was asked now and was not going there specifically because of a psychopath and needing her sister, I think she'd do it. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Or I think she'd want to. Yeah. Yeah. So we, like you guys were saying, we get a lot of really good Amanda Scott stuff here, which I love considering how now this is becoming this story of two sisters in a way. And it just seemed like they had, you find out here that they were close because they had this understanding and they recognized each other because Amanda even makes a comment to Lisi, I think it's a little bit later that she they recognized each other and and Scott had used all of his energy on being healthy, basically, surviving his childhood. Mm-hmm. Even though she knew nothing about his childhood, they didn't talk about that, but she knew. And I just thought that was interesting. This isn't necessarily important, but it does add to the mood of the place. As they're talking, a woman hushes them because there's there's still the same benches <laughs> on the beach and there's like shrouded figures and there's people there she tells him to be quiet while i think of why i did it and later we find out she's referring to what she did was murdering her child and she's got her child with her yeah real dark turn yeah it adds to this idea that this place is I, i feel like the pool is a place where people that have gone past a certain point in madness. Is it an asylum? Pilgrimage. It's like a pilgrimage that the insane are making. Yeah. To this pool to, I don't know, drown whatever awful thoughts that they, they're they dealing with. Or to, I, I don't know what the goal is. But between that and in the previous episode, the guy that was in a car crash... Mm-hmm. And was most likely either brain dead or dying and is now here. Because it heals, but it's not healing (laughs) necessarily. Exactly. So it it just gives this really, for me, it it feels very cool world building Mm -hmm. without without giving you too much. It's Uh, still very mysterious. Yeah. Lisi tells Amanda she needs her and she'll explain when they leave because she can feel the pull of this place again. And she knows that if she stays very much longer, she's going to go all gomers with Amanda. And now we finally find out, which we already talked about, why Lisi was obsessed with that parking spot. 
that's what she visualizes to get them out of there. And she's telling Amanda, hey, you remember my car? And Amanda's like, yeah, it looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and helps her picture fine details of it. And before they go, um, which also this was so like such a great way to get out of Greenlawn because I was like, yeah. oh, is she doing this? I'm like, oh, yeah, she doesn't have to really explain. Well, she doesn't have to take her out by normal means, which would delay things possibly. I, I guess. I don't know. I did think I was like... This is another one of those, like, it, this seems like an unnecessary step. I I think they just wanted to get back and be able to plan as soon as possible. And there would have been too many, too much, like, paperwork and questions. And they probably would have wanted to test her. And I, I don't I don't know. Right, yeah. The doctors would have made a huge deal about her instant recovery. And, mm-hmm. and it would have just made it impossible. But I also, like I said, the thing I, I kind of dig is how think of how many details she memorized to do it and then how few it starts to take mm-hmm. like how quickly she oh adapts. yeah i just i find that really interesting it didn't it didn't click until thinking about it just now how many things she points out in that photograph in her mm-hmm. mind and it is really cool i like how they get the point across of like the picture sliding into place because mm-hmm. she's closing her eyes and like the the bottle the, the and it's still not working and then she's like oh yeah i have a pelican or something on yeah. my uh, drive <laughs> and the then suddenly plate. they're just Bam. there <laughs> it, it makes you're right it, it does kind of get across the point of like the effort mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it is taking okay <laughs> fine <laughs> you can <convince. laughs> and before they go amanda had mentioned that scott wanted her to tell Lisi something about Good Ma's Afghan, but she can't remember. And there's something else about her story, Lisi's story, but she can't remember that either. So they take off and they are back in the car. And Amanda's annoyed that she's not wearing any undergarments. <laughs> Constantly. And I <laughs> thought it was very funny. I What I found abrasive about her in the opening chapters I now like. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just on, I think on, on board with Amanda. I think it's because Amanda is, uh, now that we understand the complexity of her whole life, mm-hmm. her straightforwardness comes off as more charming now. No, not for you, Ben? No, I was, Gail. I, I oh, said yeah. it the first oh, episode. Yeah. I watched a montage of best Gail moments and was like, yeah, yeah she's Gail <laughs> from Bob's. <Yeah. laughs> okay, this next section, my favorite, Lisi and Amanda, the sister thing. We get down to business right away with this. Amanda's like, oh, I see. You're going to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they That's hot, fine. Like, high five. And yeah. this scene of them, they're, they're driving and they kind of, they spend a while talking about where they're going to go and why they can't go to Lissy's house or why they don't want to go to Amanda's yet. And so they kind of pull off on this like park, right? State mm-hmm. park. Yeah. yeah. And there is a scene of them walking through the grass just up on this hill and deciding in the moment together that they're going to murder this guy. (laughs) And it's the two of them barefoot dancing in the grass while the wind blows around them and just like shouting into the sky. It is so triumphant and fantastic. (laughs) I, you feel like the, they're making this pact together in mm-hmm. this moment. It's it's very fried green tomatoes. I I was gonna say uh, 
Shawshank Redemption. You guys have a coven of witches. Oh making, yeah, uh, making yeah. A, a pact. Hocus oh, Pocus no. too. <gasps> Practical St- magic. Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks. That was it. Yeah, that's what we needed. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the Shawshank thing. Yeah, that it gave me that little bit. Because after all this, and then they get in the car mm. and the big rainstorm. And so that the moment of triumph mixed with a rainstorm. That's where you got I me. That. <laughs> I get that. You know why we get the moment in the grass? So that we have the reason that they give the doctor when they call him. What? Oh, that they just. They, oh, right. Yeah. Which, oh, okay. which is just like a tiny little like, oh, you smart bastard. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of set up something that I was expecting from the end of the book that does not happen. Yeah. Because they get back in the car and it immediately starts downpouring. And Amanda hands Lisey the phone and is like, okay, you got to call him now. This is your job. This is something we have to do. You have to call the doctor and explain why the hell we disappeared. And they called the sisters first. We should just mention. So oh, that's yeah. All, they called that's the all sisters and of. prank them into going to dairy. <laughs> Yeah. It's unimportant, but they just right. basically lie to them in a way <laughs> they, they that they're like, we can never cover up this lie <laughs> ever. But anyway, but then they're like, we have to call the doctor and explain what happened uh, so that they don't like call the police <laughs> and get the police <laughs> accidentally involved in all of this. And so Lissy calls and she's like, I, you know, I, I have a lot of great qualities, but I can't make up stuff on the fly. I'm not a storyteller like Scott is was but when she gets on the phone she kind of naturally is able to come up with this story that you know amanda just came to and was very insistent that they had to leave right now not to put their shoes on not to do anything we just have to go well they they just have to go and so lisa's like i just thought the best thing to do was follow her lead Mm -hmm. and they he's like Why'd you leave your keys? Oh, she must not have wanted it to trip off the, the metal detector. The metal detector. Yeah. So he he like gave her that answer himself, mm-hmm. which I thought was amazing and hilarious. And then he's like, but you guys left your shoes? And, and they're like, uh, it, it triggers Amanda's, you know, just feeling the grass on her feet mm-hmm. when they were having their, their witchcraft moment together. And she's like, oh, yeah, we just she just really wanted to feel <laughs> the feet on her grass. I mean, <laughs> take it again. No, it's, so it's, I like this part, but it does set up what I was expecting. I was expecting this to be a lead up to Lissy's story. The story Lissy tells her. I see. Which I'll get headed. into later. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought this was going towards showing, oh, Lissy has stories of her own to tell. Mm-hmm. No, Scott just has more. (laughs) Yeah, no, Scott just needs to fucking keep going. Uh, Small detail, but the we also found out in the conversation with uh, them in the car that the black notebook that she was writing in that Scott bought her a near lifetime supply of Mm -hmm. them, and I just wondered if mine got as written in all of them. That you wondered that in the first episode, yeah, yeah, and 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 here we are. Lucy wonders that, and she's like, "Oh, maybe someday I'll look and see if it's on all of them." They stop at Amanda's house to get her gun and her ex, Charles. Hold on, don't pass no, that do, up. Yeah, do because not skip I over love this. that I'm bit. not going to. Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Just the part where they're driving, they're leaving to go to Amanda's house. Mm-hmm. And there's just a single line where Amanda says, all right, do you are think. Are you strapped? Yeah, are you strapped? 
And uh, Lissy is like, wait, <gasps> oh, she said another Scott thing. And she's like, what? And then Amanda just goes, it's a figure of speech. I have a gun. Yeah, it's so it's, fucking great. It is hilarious. I burst out laughing. I loved that. <laughs> but no, the card is hilarious too. Is Charles a jerk for giving a card? I mean, I know yes, that's a obviously. weird thing to do, yeah. but I, why? Uh, it's. I think it's a very classic example of wanting to keep your hooks on someone. That's his goal. Like, oh, it's, is it's, that it's, a way to like keep her on the hook? Yeah, he's like because he's I like just don't get it because <laughs> he's saying like I know I hurt your feelings, but God, I hope you can find. I hope we can find a way to be friends. Yeah. And if please he, stay in my life and please continue to give me control over you. Yeah, I don't know if I feel like an he idiot. knows. <laughs> I don't know if he knows that she is currently institutionalized. Uh, mm. We we don't really know that one way or the other. But either way, he knows how badly he hurt her. Mm-hmm. And the fact that a Hallmark card is his answer to that is just kind of a dick move. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is not an equivalent sorry yeah. to the amount of pain he's I, caused. I weirdly just thought he was very stupid. Well, that too. <laughs> oh, yeah. He seems like an idiot. <laughs> and I did like Amanda reads the card and then she has her own rhyme, which I, I can't quite remember, <laughs> but something about kissing her ass. And then she rubs the card on her butt. Yeah. <laughs> and Lissy loses her mind. She loves it. This is her favorite bit. It, it's the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> that did stand out where I was like, man. I really hope the adaptation does this scene exactly because I want to. <laughs> King writes like in this moment there are little girls. King writes little girls just like he writes little boys. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. It was very joy- joyful though. So they get the gun. Amanda gets dressed. They stop at the market so they can eat nasty. <laughs> and we are we jump ahead uh, to seven fifteen in Scott's study. And Amanda's in the other room watching a movie, and Lisi has a premonition, which is the third one she's had. The first was, of course, the morning that Scott was shot that we've already talked about. The second was when he collapsed at, collapsed at an English department reception, which we did not get anything of. And it's his death, which we are about to get to. But this right here is the third. And she's thinking about what Amanda said to her in Southwind, something about the Afghan and her story. And now, you guys, we get Scott's death. Would one of you like to walk us through this? It is sad and anticlimactic. It it really, you know, you're expecting this huge buildup to this moment that is the the kicking off point of the whole book. Because the first chapter made it seem like something violent happened because there were things in his study that were destroyed before mm. she had her fit and destroyed the things <laughs> in his study. Yes. Yeah, he... he I don't know. I was just expecting this big uh, catharsis, maybe, or mm-hmm. not anti-catharsis. <laughs> I don't know. Were you expecting there to be violence? No, not necessarily. I was just, ex- you expect these big losses to be, you know, huge melodramatic moments, but it's not. It is just a death, mm-hmm. and it is sad. She gets a call um, from the hospital saying, hey your husband is here, you need to get here as quickly as you can. Um, and you need to give us permission to co- to perform these surgeries immediately. And she's imme- immediately terrified and she heads out. She gets on a plane mm-hmm. and has to fly there. And the amount of, I can't even imagine 
how mm-hmm. stressful and nerve-wracking that is. When she gets there, she finds a nurse's station. She's kind of wandering blindly through the hospital. She goes to this room that she expects him to be in, and he's not. And these nurses find her. and He's in a different part of the hospital, yeah. which is when you know it's serious. And they say, you know, we follow me and... The doctor who looks too young to be the mm-hmm. guy that performed surgery on her husband uh, leans over and whispers something to the nurse that she later realizes is take him off the ventilators like the, he's he's done. Which reduces his time from hours to minutes. But the doctor thought that was a mercy. It, it, it's <laughs> such a sad scene, but it is not. I don't know. It, it doesn't have the the drama of uh, Cole, you know. Uh, yeah. The I believe that it's yeah. It, it lacks the drama, but I think the heightened yeah. suspense oh, for sure is a a really interesting trade off that we get two life or death hospital scenes, oh, and they're both very different tones. It's still devastating. Yeah. Like I don't get me wrong. It is still deeply, deeply sad. Mm-hmm. It's just it in its just mundane there is no well it's hinted that it could have been because as scott says i think i ate something after. well okay that's the after dark can you guys help me because i'm i was struggling and i read it again like i was struggling to figure out exactly what happened because there's so they're saying there's something wrong with his lungs both of them they can't identify it it's and lisa's like well yeah that's because it's from mm-hmm. Booyah Moon. So I guess it's something that had gotten in him, in him on accident because he he tells her that he went there from the airplane. It like he got sick. He went there while he was in the airplane, which Ben, you'd mentioned this is not the territories, and this mm. also proves <laughs> it because he didn't pop Plummet out and, like, from, fall the from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went over again in the airport bathroom, but he couldn't get to the pool because the long boy was blocking the path. Oh, Freddy. And we know he's lazy, so he isn't going to get out of the way. So he ate some berries, but he ate them too late after sundown. And the only reason that he could continue to go on is because he licked some dew off the leaves of the tree. And it got him through his talk and, and why he was able to do that. And he seemed like he was okay. Did I get it? No, right? that's 100% that He died correct. because he just got infected with the, something there? So the implication, as I understand it, is that he was feeling the onset of another um oh an episode yeah another episode he was feeling that come on and he was starting to feel sick and that's what made him want to go back to the pool he couldn't get back to the pool and to stave it off he thought he would eat the berry ate it too that late that just seems so stupid sick. though well if it's if his options i i mean and we never get this because we don't understand what scott was going through mm, in this I moment know. but my guess is that it had to have come on so hard and fast that he didn't think he'd make it back home before it set in. So I think he was acting out of desperation, especially if, if he made two trips back <gasps> so quickly I'm such because the long boy was in the way. It had to shit. have been desperate. If the long boy is depression, that's why I'm explaining why I'm a piece of shit. If the long boy is depression... I just blamed Scott for being depressed and said, why didn't he just get better? Because the, <laughs> the long boy's blocking his oh, yeah. oh, fuck. I oh, apologize no, but- to everyone. <laughs> I'm just so mad. Like, Lisi and I had the same reaction. Because once again, I'm like, 
having these ideas and then she's having these ideas mm-hmm. and they don't work. And part <laughs> she's of like, what, just go to the pool. <laughs> yeah. part, And that's part of what makes everybody so confused yeah. is that when he collapsed, he had a temperature of like 106 and they ask how long he was sick. And she's like, I didn't he know wasn't. he was sick. Like that, <laughs> it didn't seem like it. And then people saying, yeah, he seemed weird. And then during the reading, he was electric. He was mm-hmm. on fire. And then instantly after it was done, collapsed. So, Everybody's just super confused as to what could be possibly going on. But Lisey, and this is another strange thing, but I had a hard time reconciling Lisey's memory because she hears the phrase and goes to Scott and is taught. She's not like pulling these things back from behind the curtain Mm -hmm. again, Mm -hmm. which means she's been fine carrying all of this. Or is it because (laughs) it's repressed? And she doesn't want to think about it, but when she needs to think about it, she's handling it okay. I Yeah, that's kind of a hole. <laughs> yeah. I there's a few times in this section where like the curtain's down, but there's been a few times where she's like, I know exactly what I'm doing in the Dooley situation until she doesn't. <laughs> and then she's like, Oh no, I I remember everything, but I'm having trouble remembering. Yeah. I, I don't know. Memory's I, weird. Don't think about it. I, That's I literally didn't think about the fact that she wouldn't remember her husband died by eating bad berries in this place that doesn't exist if it was behind the curtain. So she's maybe she, his death was just a random illness in her memory. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we we know that they put pneumonia because they didn't want to put unknown, and she remembered that. And also, I mean, maybe that is part of the reason why it took her two years to move to move on. If your spouse died and you couldn't really remember how they well, died, yeah. if you just if it was foggy like that, I imagine it'd be hard to process. Speaking of which, how watch Severance anyway. <laughs> It's a, a very similar thing of right. memory and grief. Ooh. So we are back in the present with Lisey, and she hears the phone make this brief sound, and she knows that the line has been cut, and Dooley is here. And I love – we didn't mention this, but it was more impactful to me right here. She's been calling him the Black Prince of the Incunx. <laughs> I do love that. It's just it's kind of like a sweet title. <laughs> <laughs> she has Amanda come into the study – and Lisey gives her the gun, which she instantly drops because her hands are shredded. <laughs> and Lisey's like, no, you, you don't have to fire it because that's not part of the plan. You just have to hold it. And so she places herself in the middle of the room in front of the desk and the lights go out. And you guys, Dooley is here. He's got night vision goggles on. And in a completely ridiculous act of idiocy, he's like, drop the gun, like real stern voice and amanda almost does (laughs) and he does not have a weapon and lisey's like you're really gonna let some douche waltz in here and tell you to drop your gun your own gun which amanda's like yeah you're right no i'm not gonna do that and lisey begins to egg him on let's talk about what happens next first of all not expecting Dooley to cut the power and have night vision goggles yeah that was (laughs) slightly extra horrifying just how prepared he was for the specific plan. <laughs> Did we it's ever crazy. find out what's in the bag he has with him? Because he's carrying no, a bag. He just, mm. it, every time Lissy, yeah, <laughs> uh, that clink and make Lissy not want to think about it. Because mm-hmm. every time she like mentions the bag, oh, he when she goes up to gather earlier. it, 
Maybe mm, probably in another can opener. But she's just <laughs> like it, it's stuff that's bad enough that she has to get rid of it because yeah. if the cops found it, mm. there would be questions. Right. Mm-hmm. The the taunting when Lacey just starts tearing into him from the other side of the uh, jumbo dumbo desk, <laughs> and it is saying piecing this out of nowhere story together about him being locked up with Gerd and they're yes. both deep space cowboys, and she just. Emasculating isn't the word I'm looking for, but she really attacks the building blocks of mm-hmm. his motive she knows for coming exactly after her. What button to push. Yeah. And it drives him so crazy to the point he charges at her and tackles, like grabs her and throws her on the desk. Ooh, ooh, can I read the description? Yeah. Oh my God. So when he runs at her, she's totally calm because she knows what she's supposed to do. And she opened her arms to Jim Dooley and caught him like a fever. <laughs> that is a line in a song. That is a lyric. That is beautiful. I couldn't help. And Josh, as you were talking about how she's taunting him, this reminded me of Rose Matter when yeah, Norman Gert kicks the Gert? shit. Yeah. yeah. I, and I'm reminded here again of Norman Daniels because he plows into Lisi. And she's got her arms open. She takes him. They fall back onto the desk. And she hears the sound. And it's his teeth trying for her neck. And he's aroused. And it's dark. It just reminded me of that scene in the apartment building hallway. It's so cool. I wish this guy got his jaw ripped open. (laughs) The sound of gnashing teeth in the dark near your neck. I cannot Mm -hmm. imagine how horrifying that is. While this is happening, Amanda starts firing shots into the ceiling (laughs) and screaming at him to leave her alone, but it's not doing any good. And so she ends up jumping on his back, but Lisi whispers to him that she'll give him what, what he wants. Let me give you what you want. And she feels his momentary confusion, which is just enough that his hold on her loosens. And that's when she makes her move onion and meat smooch. So gross. Was not expecting Hair the second the sip. sip to be for Dooley. That not good. Don't care for it. That was wa- why. Yeah. Why? When she's like <laughs> this horrifying character, and then she talks about using her tongue to force his lips open. Yeah. I was like, oh god, I, no, thank you. But man, worth it for what ends up happening to Dooley. Ooh, yeah. Let's talk about Dooley's reaction to his new surroundings and the chase through the forest in Booyah Moon. It is so bananas <laughs> from this point, this duration in Booyah Moon, because they they go there and Dooley is so confused and she can see his eyes and realizes that the lenses of his night vision goggles didn't make the trip for some reason. So he looks like a weird monster. <laughs> and... She turns to run because her plan is to lure him into the woods, but she doesn't expect that Amanda also wound up there and like is grabbing him and she trips him and he falls on Paul's cross and impales. They get him right in the balls. So I have to give that to Amanda. She takes her mangled hand. Yeah. Amanda gives him a tug. Yeah, she does. Gives his balls a tug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he gets partially impaled on his arm from Paul's Grave marker. Yeah, he ends up not, and this still didn't have the hypodermic needle. I thought I, it was going to be the needle. Such here. Such a huge uh, missed Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for Amanda to 
pop up and jab him with the needle Mm -hmm. is what I thought she was going to happen after he kicks her and rolls her away. I thought she'd, oh, she rolls and her hand lands on it. No, uh, he, he just takes off after getting rid of Amanda. Lisi takes off into the woods again, yelling at him. He chases and she's full on sprinting. This Mm -hmm. is the part that reminded me of Rose matter. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is the final chase in Rose matter. Yeah. Yeah. With Norman right on her heels. Uh, and her going like with a specific plan with, mm-hmm. with items that she's going to use. The craziest thing, it's tense enough that he is gaining on her and she's like, any moment I'll feel his fingertips just missing mm. a grasp for me. But at the same time, she can also tell the long boy is close because all of her Member, her mind is filling up with depressing memories and sad things uh, like images, intrusive images of things she's like just stumbled across in yep. life that are really uh, unsettling and disturbing. It's in the laughers are laughing and then they stop everything like bad news stops. I love that he reaches for her and trips and she keeps running, doesn't chance to look back and he yells like you bitch. And she's like, yeah, you're going to regret making a real loud noise, bud. (laughs) As she gets to the bell tree where she had left the spade the last time she was there and grabs it and just picks it up and swings it out, not not even knowing if he's right there and makes a connection just like she did with Cole right in his face. Uh, I heard the home run bat noise from Smash Brothers. (laughs) Yes. And, oh, I... This was cool. She, sorry, we already talked about this, but I just want to mention it. We, she knows the long boy's awake because she can feel him in her mind like restless hands, feeling for loose boards or testing the closed cover of a well. No, thank it's you. So cool. That's real Silent Hill imagery. Yeah. So something shifts when she hits Dooley. The, the long boy's here. She sees it coming through the trees, crushing some passing through others and possibly the description this thing fucks me up i can't i want to see <laughs> i now want to see the adaptation just to see how they do the long boy after this description it is the the way they describe it as not having a head but just uh oh, what do they a, call it? it is a, a dead eye yeah it's uh-huh. it's it, it doesn't have a mouth it doesn't have a jaw it just has this blunt end with an staring dead eye. I'm still picturing Graboids. And the way it just, uh, mm-hmm. it's so much worse. It's, it, the way it, that no, describes, it describes That's the closest yeah. thing I can picture to it. Uh, as just being puckered. It's a big uh, worm with a butthole mouth a, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will never forget the phrase high river of meat. And that is the <laughs> always conjure when I think of this scene now. It's really disturbing, too. She has this understanding that once you've seen the long boy, past and future become only dreams. There's only a single moment of now drawn out like an agonizing note that never ends. Yeah, she says that Ooh. her life is no longer her own mm-hmm. because she is under the watch of this thing. You know what was cool? The so we get the description of this butthole mouth thing from Scott when he's lying on the parking lot mm-hmm. and he's like, I can hear it taking its meal, I can call it, and he puckers his mouth and like sprays blood. So n- now when she's remembering that, and we're also seeing Dooley getting folded as it's described into its mouth, the 
the added imagery of the moment we got with Scott and being able to picture that so clearly, because that's like a human person and, and everything makes sense, mm-hmm. lent so much more to this thing that my brain can't even picture. Oh, it's beautiful writing. <laughs> oh, I have a very specific image of what this thing looks like, and I wish I did because it's bad. I wonder what one of those AI creators would do if we just put the long boy in. And- <laughs> no, we're you gonna, don't want to see that. No, I don't. I, don't. I mean, you might. <laughs> I think we're going to do that after this episode. The... When she reflects on that, you know, time altering once you are in the presence of it, the idea that she heard Dooley screaming and knows he'll be screaming that scream for eternity. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like you never really die. Yeah, it's a Sarlacc pit. But <laughs> <Yeah>. worse. <laughs> Ooh. She runs back to Amanda knowing that the long boy has seen her and marked her. And like you said, Josh, her life is never going to be the same again. Amanda is very upset. She's like, this is not like Southwind. What the fuck? And she's like, I, I don't even know. I might be too upset to picture Scott's study. And Lisa's like, just do the best you can. Not worried about getting back. I'm only worried about being able to stay once I am back. And that's where we get that comparison to when she sprained her ankle and the doctor told her, you're gonna have to be careful for the rest of your life. Because once you sprain it, once you stretch that tendon, it's easily stretched again and they are back in the study they make their way to the house for a much deserved and needed shot of brandy and they have some <laughs> housekeeping stuff to do we kind of already talked about this there are signs of dually things that would arouse suspicion if the cops got their hands on it and lisi also realizes they need to make up a story to tell darla and canty and they know that they'll keep things quiet though oh my god what? i'm an idiot <laughs> so Amanda, while Lisi is cleaning up all the evidence, by the time she gets back, Amanda's concocted the whole story. She's got it. It's Mm. locked and loaded and it's great. We also talked about her nervousness about talking to the doctor. Mm -hmm. It's because she has the drink in her. What? She she has the sip in her. So telling like, so the story... That's why it comes so easy to oh, her. She and can that be all that. And yeah, why she by drank the time from she gets the pool. Yeah, by Ugh. the time she gets back, <laughs> she, Amanda's concocted the story that covers every single base. And it just shares it with her, like, yeah, here's what we're doing. And Lisa's like, game on. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, I love that. I didn't make that connection Me either. either. I, I was just, just like, did. oh, this is just showing that like Amanda how like strong and resilient she is. Uh, but yeah, I guess it yeah. is part of the healing. So weird. That's cool. I like too, there's a line about how Darla and Canty aren't going to like it <laughs> and aren't going to believe everything. But if they tell them they need to keep it quiet, they're going to because they're sisters. But they can't be completely honest with them because those two are married. They have husbands and husbands were all too often the back door by which secrets escaped into the outside world. So cool. As yeah. anybody who's ever backdoored a husband would know. <laughs> wow. They, what? That's not. Is that? No. Oh, that, I thought that was another uh, Landon phrase. <laughs> <laughs> That's a boner toss. Strap it on. <laughs> Whenever you backdoor a husband. <laughs> so their cover story is essentially that Amanda needed to go back to their their old farm in Lips- Lisbon Falls and because she was afraid they were going to lock her up again, she needed to visit her parents' grave and toss some things over the bridge into the <laughs> river. Um, okay, it, this this is it. This is Lisi in the story tree. We jump ahead in time a little bit. She and her sisters 
are, have been working really hard on finishing the job of cleaning out Scott's study. While they're doing this, Lisi gets a call from Deputy Beckman that they found an abandoned PT cruiser, and they have to go down, her and Amanda, and they take a look at it. And don't think we really need to spend much time no. on that. But the, the cops are all happy because they finally got a fingerprint on something. They can connect it to Dooley. The only really cool thing is here is that we find out that when he was nine, his parents and older sister died in a house fire that the retired detective they talked to was always suspicious about that he had something to do with it. So it's just a, an interesting bit about Dooley, who is James Doolin. Also, we find out that the things that she was saying to him to instigate him were 100% oh, true. absolutely. Yeah. Because she so, didn't know that for a fact. Yeah. And they seem to be taking him more seriously now that he's not a problem <laughs> rather than when he was an actual threat to her or I'm just being bitter. So they, they ultimately end up deciding, ah, we scared him off. He's not, gonna, he's not going to bother you anymore. But if he does, you know, we're going to have to make a plan for this. So the next morning is when Lisi starts to see glimpses of the long boy in reflections. And, and it's just, she goes through this bit about how she's now avoiding all of these reflective surfaces mm -hmm. she, and she's covering Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No, when, they, when they uh, send over, she finally sends off all of the his papers to a college, not the one would. Smuggy <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, a different uh, college. And these two kids come to pick everything up. And one of them goes into the house to use the bathroom and comes out giving her weird looks. Mm -hmm. And when she goes back in the house, she realizes that all of her mirrors are covered and she doesn't remember doing it. Mm. And so she thinks, like, I have to do something because I won't live long like this. She's also, she gave them uh, lemonade or, or something. Yeah. And has to slide their glass, their empty glass behind the plastic pitcher so that she can't accidentally look mm. into the reflection. Holy shit. Like, Scott, think about... Scott has been doing this yeah. his, like, whole life almost. And this brings me to what... The ending of this book should have been. Okay. Because this this uh, becomes her being terrified all the time. Mm -hmm. Even more so when she one day falls asleep on the couch. It's just resting and suddenly feels grass underneath her. And she completely, without her knowledge, without her trying, she has slipped to Booyah Moon. And she just knows that she's being watched. And if this keeps happening... Who knows? She slips, opens her eyes, and is making eye contact with the long boy. Mm -hmm. Terrifying. So it becomes her trying to figure out. She decides to go back. It's like Rose Matter in the Seeds. Yeah. She, she yeah. tries to go back to find how a way to live, right? So my, what I was expecting was her to go and somehow find that the thing that the way Scott kept the long boy at bay, which has been hinted at the entire book, is through his work, mm -hmm. through his writing. Mm -hmm. yep. That is what siphoned off whatever this bad gunky is that threatened him constantly is by his writing. So Lisi goes into Booyah Moon and she finds the final bull hunt. 
and it is just uh, all of the random trash that's been left <laughs> a here, bunch basically. of booze bottles. Yeah, lots of uh, it's yeah, where you find out it's where Scott would go when he wouldn't well, come home for it's hours. When she first finds the the cross that had stabbed. Yeah, the yarn tied uh, to it that Dooley leads that has yeah. the yellow lar- uh, yarn of the Afghan mm-hmm. leading her to this tree. This what she learns is the story tree. Sounds like the drinking tree based on what she describes. <laughs> but it's it's where he got his mm-hmm. we we find out it's where his ideas if they didn't come from this tree they were supported nurtured mm-hmm. by this it's tree. It's like taking a shower and finally getting good ideas about exactly. stuff. Exactly. And so I thought, oh, she's he has led her here so that she can gain whatever creative energy that she needs to then use her own creativity that she has uh, gained through her adventures in the book in having to, to, you know, problem solve and all of this. It is going to be her gaining this power that Scott had. It is his final gift to her is, okay, I'm gone, you now. Is it... And that's not what it is. Is it... Does it make me... Okay, sorry, I'm trying to, you were talking about that, and mm. I didn't think of that as a possibility, and I'm I'm disappointed that that wasn't how it was, because I couldn't help, and I didn't want to be critical of it, but I couldn't help thinking, oh, Lisey's story is Scott's story. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, Bummer. Which <laughs> Scott's story is interesting, but. It's a great I'm story. I'm glad yeah. you did get the story, yeah. finally. Yeah, but it, it is such a bait and switch that he she finds under this tree wrapped in the afghan which is all dirty and moldy and stuff a manuscript box labeled lissy mm-hmm. and then she opens it up and it's just more about his childhood it has nothing to do with her it is just him doing his final trauma dump which he told her he was a burden <laughs> And it's all well and good that she gets this final closure Mm -hmm. or whatever, but it is, it is the, that the ending is the anchor that she needs to keep herself tethered to the real world is this Afghan that was left her by... Scott. But it's good Ma's Afghan, which is this like, I don't know, maternal thing passed down... Yeah, and it's it's trying to make uh, it a thing. It it represents, you know, their love. They got it from their marriage, and it It represents womanhood. I think this this woman who like was like a monster making these Afghans. Yeah, it's just it's 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 a a little disappointing that it isn't her findings, even through Scott with his otherworldly support, finding the strength in herself to keep going. It's oh, I need this talisman Mm -hmm. to remind me of my dead husband. Josh, I hear you. I, I see. I hear you. I see you trying to fix it. <laughs> well, I it, it some things just clicked kind of into place with me. So let's keep on our uh, canonical take that the long boy is suicidal depression. Mm-hmm. It is now coming after Lisi because she is straight up killed a man. She <laughs> she murdered a man, and that scar doesn't go away. That's yeah. She does say that she was like, if she had known that, cause it's worse than murder. Well, if it wasn't <laughs> right. just Amanda's life at risk, yeah. or her, I'm sorry, if it wasn't just her life at risk, if Amanda hadn't been there, she would take it all back. Even if it meant her death. Yeah. So by ending by Lisey's story, the, the final story for Lisey, 
is the story of how he kept on after having to kill someone. Mm. And I think that's the importance of it is this is specifically to connect to the grief that what she has to but carry now. The parallel doesn't really work because I, I did have a similar thought mm. because, but Scott makes a point at the end of his story to say, I did this out of love. Mm-hmm. I could have, I could have, I had to choose between love and hate. Hate would have been running away and letting my father to the hell of his own creation, the hell of his insanity. Or I could choose the loving option and put him out of his misery. That's not what Lizzie <laughs> did. But isn't that an acknowledgement that I did what I did out of love and I still had to carry this monster? Mm. What you did came from a very different place. She did it out of hate because she mm. didn't go to the police and she even said, you know, if, if they happen to catch him, I guess my problem's still solved, but I don't want them to now. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that's... The it's acknowledging that the choice she had to make was worse. And because he knows how hard it was to carry his burden. Sure. He wants to share that final story and give her a trauma dump. But also this is the, this is the last thing I can do to save the rest of the life you have. Josh, I think we can stretch that rubber over the tip, make it fit. (laughs) What is that? Yes. I, was that from the book? Yes. I hate that. Doesn't it fit? It does. That absolutely sounds like some Scott Landon bullshit. I hated that. That's amazing. I love nonsense. Do you guys want to talk about anything with Scott's story? We don't have I, to go through every beat, but there are, are are a few really cool things in this. Up to the point where he shifts and speaks directly to Lissy, mm-hmm. which is a very cool moment. Mm-hmm. I purposefully started reading this section as a standalone story. I tried to divorce it of any context from the book and think, would this story, if it were just in a Stephen King short story collection, would it stand up? Fuck yeah, it does. Hell you yeah. know what it is? This is going to be weird. It is a story in 20th century ghosts. It it's did. a Joe Hill no, story. It absolutely it's, is. Yeah. I had the same thought. Okay, yeah, it, <laughs> No, it's, it reads like it does Joe Hill short yeah. story. It's, it's just like this very slice of life awful nightmare Mm -hmm. but just the family dynamics are it's really good up until the point where he kind of breaks from telling the story of his dad after paul has gone uh bad his dad becoming worse Mm -hmm. and knowing that his dad is going to kill him and his dad tries to get him to run away like even has money set aside for him and this was heartbreaking he's like you if you don't leave i'm going to kill you Mm -hmm. what i did to paul i had to do and i did out of love again like we're talking things of love and hate and if i do something to you it won't be that it'll be bad and don't like you this is a horrible thing to do to your kid but you wouldn't let that happen to me like what would happen to my soul if i murdered you basically uh-huh. so run away yeah, it, and scott can't um 
which I, I don't know. I think back to myself as a kid and no matter what, like, I don't think I, I get that as a child. Like, no, I, I can't leave. Mm-hmm. This can't be it. The, and he barely knows anything outside of the home. He's, yeah. He didn't go to school. He, but yeah. Like, <sighs> we know what happens to town. boys his age traveling mm-hmm. the world, the, right. the countryside. So the other thing, oh, just real quickly, we'll just kind of go through what happens. His dad's getting worse and worse. Uh, he tells him that, because Scott's like, are we going to go back to work? Because we need to eat. And he's like, ah, the plant blew up. And then <laughs> the manager from the plant visits and Scott answers the door and his dad's hiding behind it with a shotgun. And he's like, hey, we're worried about your dad. And Scott's like, oh, yeah, he had to visit our, my sick aunt and he'll be back just gives this lie and so to save the guy's life because he can see his dad's like crazed eye in the you know the gap in the door just waiting to have to kill this guy and so that's when after he leaves his dad's like you gotta run away and he doesn't and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he hears his dad coming and he'd gone out into the shed and got gotten a pickaxe. He traded weapons. And so he hides under the bed, even though he knows like that's the first place kids hide and that's yep. the first place monsters look. And his dad takes the pickaxe straight through the bed, nearly impales Scott, but luckily it doesn't touch him. And the only thing he can do is just disappear to Booyah Moon. And when he comes back, that's when he finds his dad sleeping and he takes the pickaxe and in a very dark and gruesome scene describes how he puts it through his head and what it was like to the, do it. This is the point where his story falls apart I, for me. Okay, it, the, this is unnecessary. The thing that got me though was after that, he, he follows that up with, I killed, like I murdered my father mm-hmm. and every day I have to think of that. And every morning I wake up, the first thing in my head is I murdered my father. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it, it is a, a nightmare the way it is written it is so effective but there is this moment where he is thinking going through his thoughts of like am i going to do this for love am i going to am i going to do this mm-hmm. and he hears paul speak to him he hears paul say daddy's prize is a kiss and that's the moment he decides i'm gonna do it and then i raise the axe above my head and then it goes back to Lissy reading the story, and she says, there's three blank lines. And I'm like, whoa. Before he continues, I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's really cool <laughs> how he leaves out this. Because you you know. Mm-hmm. You know. But then it just continues, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, his blood and brains flew all over the place. Here's an un- yes. <laughs> unnecessarily graphic disp- depiction. And I'm like, okay, you couldn't, you, you couldn't have... Controlled yourself a I, little bit, Stephen. <laughs> uh, I'm glad he did. I wonder. Well, <laughs> and, and it's it's also part of how vividly it lives in his brain. Well, Scott's a writer. Of course, he's going to yeah. make it this nasty, detailed thing. Well, and there are two things to point out in this duration: is that when he uh, boomed over, mm. uh, he it was nighttime, and mm. he that's how he found the tree that she's now sitting under. Is it's the only one that still smelled safe? And so when he goes back, he sees that the thing that's wearing his dad like a suit has torn up the entire house, ripped all the money to shreds, ripped all his clothes. So he is a 10 year old boy in only a pair of jeans. The only piece of clothing he doesn't have torn up and smell. His dad drank a gallon of wine to get blackout drunk and then wrote a note 
that he put next to the pickaxe that says, kill me, then put me with Paul, please. And the please is underlined. And Scott tries to put him with Paul. For five days in a house with that body, Mm -hmm. trying every day. But his dad is an anchor. And And then he had to drag him out and put him down the well. And not until after doing it realizes that he he made a comment about his dad going out to the barn to get the pickaxe and not realizing he didn't have shoes on. And he realizes after he's come back from dumping his dad's body down the well that he also Ooh. did that. <laughs> it is so it I can't imagine a different ending for uh, Sparky Landon. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I didn't know what to expect. And it was certainly uh I expected this to be a fight for your life struggle and not a mm. my dad wrote a, a suicide note to me uh, to yeah. do. Yeah. It just explains the heaviness, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to talk about how Lisi figures out? Her, I mean, we already kind of said the Afghan is her anchor. Did, does she really think she's just like, oh, OK, I'll take this. She because it's very it's very she's just like, oh, I know what to do because. Yeah, the, the it just happens. Would not travel back uh, until she wraps it around her ra- mm-hmm. waist and she walks to the pool and mm-hmm. soaks the magic of the pool into her and the Afghan and is able to travel back without trying. And she even thinks if I, I I have absorbed this this magic, if I wanted to, I could go other places. Yeah. Because yeah. the people that That's find so the cool. pool, I think they must find other places as mm-hmm. well once they have moved on. And she thinks she could she could take this and fly with it. Um but and, and but that's that's more Scott's bag well, of being adventurous and cool. <laughs> and well, I this is where I was talking about the Amanda part. Maybe I'm just trying to make something fit mm-hmm. to to make me like it better. Because as soon as that happened, it's like, yeah, go, yeah, tra- that travel. Like, who gets to do that? Sane, I guess. <laughs> when yeah. you're sane, uh, but <laughs> she stays because. Partially because she knows Amanda is going to need mm-hmm. a sister who understands, like to kind of be her sister's anchor, I guess, in a in a way I like as that. well. Yeah. But I, I like that she lets the Afghan dry, lets the magic dry out, really, and then cuts it into small squares <laughs> so she can always have one carry one around with her to keep her from accidentally sliding into the other world. I would have gone back to Booyah Moon with an empty milk jug and filled up. <laughs> see, I, see Lissy's story too, uh, multiverse hopping. Electric is, yeah, I, I want to read that book. That's the end of the book, though. She's able to finally finish her grieving for Scott and say goodbye to his ghost and has her anchor to keep her in the real world. And we end it. Yeah. So should we rate it? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. I am every moment that I loved in this book made me infinitely glad that I stopped listening to the audiobook and gave it the second try because I fell in love with it. I love I had such a great time reading this. It's so there's so many amazing things in it. There are a few frustrating bits of the language and. Uh, reminded me the talk of the talk with Joyland, how that kind of got irritating. And some of it grew on me, but some of it stayed strange. Uh, all in all, I think 
I think it's rock solid. Four out of five blue chambray shirts. I, we, I think I've said this before. We good naturedly give King shit for how he writes. Women. <laughs> <laughs> and I think some of it is deserved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but at the same time, when he focuses a story more specifically on a woman like Rose Matter and this, I am all in and I, I love it so much. And I, I do feel like you can feel Tabitha's influence here. I did listen to the audiobook. There's an interview with him, like an abbreviated one where he talks about, you know, this isn't me and my wife, but she does have a bunch of sisters and I have none. So I drew from you know, her wisdom and her experience for this and and based it off a couple of things. And I just thought that was fascinating. And and maybe that's why his women who are who occupy the whole story are much better characters. I thought this was amazing and fun and loved it. I'll probably read it again someday. Five out of five blue chambray shirts. Uh I mean you two covered most of it. It's <laughs> it's just uh the the end got a little I like your ending better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the ending got a little uh maybe rote. I don't know. Uh mm. it, it wasn't as captivating as the the swirling story in the middle of the book, mm. but I really like Lissy. I I like the world of Booyah Moon. I would love further mm-hmm. exploration of that. All in all, just a Fun, fun, fun may not be the right word, but just a a good story. Yeah. Um, Four out of five blue chambray shirts. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode, which will be coming out the day before Halloween. Spooky. (laughs) So we are uh, for spooky season. We decided we're going to take a break from the Patreon selection series for just one episode because we are going to bring you the road virus heads north. Uh, which is just a fucking horrifying story. And then we'll be back with uh, with the mist after that. So for Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, this is Joshua Khan reminding you, I will holler you home. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Lisey's Story Part 3. We hope you enjoyed it. I am excited to introduce you to our newest supporter of the show, Made with Love. Made with Love is a locally owned edible treat company with amazing, creative, and delicious products. Find them on Facebook by searching Made with Love QC and they should pop right up there for you. If you'd like to see an unboxing of some of their products, Josh has you covered there. Head to our YouTube page and check out his very detailed review. Guys, they made brownies that look like book. Winifred better watch out. That is Made with Love. And as always, Make us some love. Hey, Josh and Ben aren't here to judge my word choice. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. Follow our Patreon page for bonus episodes and our Etsy store for all your merchandise needs. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.